Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. This is the podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, and anyone who wants to hear about all the knife nonsense we talk about. And as always is the crown prince, Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts, as well as the chief, uh, chief big stand em Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. <laughs> and who are you? Or did you I'm Jeff say that? Oh, yeah, I didn't say that. I'm Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. <laughs> Nobody cares. Go who ahead. the hell are you? <laughs> How's everybody been this week? Craig, what have you been up to? It's been a good week, a good week. So um, I've managed to get some time in the shop, which sounds ridiculous. This is my job. But, yeah, it's difficult to get into the shop lately. Um, but well, you got twins. You I've got, got twins. Some, Give yes. yourself, cut yeah. yourself some slack. <laughs> Any spare time I have, I'm trying to sleep. But, you know, it's been two months, and I don't think I've had more than 90 minutes uninterrupted sleep in two months. Crazy, crazy. Wow. So I've been thinking, I I can't be in the shop as much as I'd like, um, but I've got lots of spare time, lots of downtime. Um, Whereas, you know, I may be feeding babies or they're just there and I'm just in the room with them. Um, So I've been thinking, I'm going to, controversial, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. So I think when I am in the shop, I'm going to record what I've got. And then in my downtime, where I've you know, it's I've got time to do stuff, but I just literally can't be in the shop. So then I can edit, sure. and then I can make videos and that kind of thing. So I'm going to try that. So this week I've been messing around with a lot of cameras and mics to see which which setup mm. will work best. Because I think if you're going to do it, you need to do it, you know, half decently at least. There's some real bad stuff out there. So I'm going to yeah. do that. So um, the channel's already set up, which is Chop Knives on YouTube. So you guys can all go out and subscribe. Ready. Um, nice. And just a few other little projects on the go, which I can do outside the shop, which are all knife related. Um, there's, there's something which could, which could mean quite a bit to our audience, but I won't go into that yet because we're not sure if it's going to happen. Another um, secret. Another secret. We like our secrets on the show. Yeah, yeah I'm, done with, <laughs> I'm done with secrets. I don't tell secrets anymore. Morocco, what have you been up to? Ah, oh, what have I been up to? Still working on a couple big blades. Uh, I got one all hands in it out, which I actually kind of did a live stream of before uh, last before we recorded last week's episode. But I got that all finished up, and or at least the blade all hands in it out. I got it ferric etched. Uh, I went to do a coffee etch on it actually yesterday, and I think I'd taken the polish to too. It's it's possible to take the polish too high, and the reason you know it's too high is because. The silver portions of the Damascus pattern, uh, at least in my experience, start taking on kind of a, a dark brown tinge, and that's because it's too high of a polish. I find that I'm starting to find around 2,000 or maybe even 1,500 is maybe more an ideal polish 
Uh, so when I'm referring to the polish, I mean like, uh, so I've done my ferric etch and then I go back and wet sand it or, or polish it back up and clean off all of those oxides. So when it's going into the coffee, it's all even and clean and everything. But I think 2,500 is, now I'm finding that 2,500 might be too high, at least for the way I'm doing it. So today, uh, after we're done recording, I'm going to go back to the shop and try to get that worked out and put it in the coffee, get that going. Uh, I got another blade. I just finished up doing the handle uh, finishing. And so next step for that is actually it's getting a saya. So I'm going to start working on the saya for that. And it's going to be an integral saya. So it's, it's going to be designed so it covers the integral portion, integral bolster of the blade. Nice. Uh, so, which is time consuming, but fun and challenging and keeps those juices, those creative juices flowing. That's juicy. <laughs> yeah, juicy. Yeah. Oh. Jeff, had a busy week? Yeah, busy week, good week. Uh, finished a pile of knives, and um, I'm ahead of schedule this week, which is really good. That's why I am, uh, I'm going to have a half day today. I'm going to finish up a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and uh, I'm going to spend some time with my wife and daughter. Uh, actually, this week, my partner came up. He comes up every other week, and we kind of discuss short-term goals and long-term goals and what we're doing. And we started, integr- we started I, I've been saying before, we changed the way we're taking business, and now... It actually gives me a little bit of uh, a little bit of relaxed. I don't. I'm not. It's not a crazy house in the, anymore. So that's really good. And uh, I finished the integral knife that I'm really pumped about, and uh, that's going to get picked up. That was uh, for an auction at the Culinary Institute of America, uh, CIA, not this Central Intelligence Agency, you motherfuckers, you. And um, <laughs> that guy's going to pick that up, and I used a piece of wood. I look, look I, I, made, I did some shit, and I finished it, and, and I'm in good mood. <clears throat> those those <clears throat> knives that you did, was it 12 or 15 that you did for that restaurant? They look great. Oh, yeah. That was, um, that was a project I got in uh, this guy. Look, this chef, he has this restaurant down in North Carolina, Good guy. He was one of the guys who bought one of the Cuban knives, and he sent us a message, and he says, look, it's, it was September, and he said, I want to do a project. For, I want to make knives for my cooks and just to, 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 to show them that I, I appreciate them. And um, do you think you would do you be able to do 12? And it's crazy to say no. So I, I, I usually never say no, and, and I'm like, well, if we have the time, let's do it. And so we budgeted our – I budgeted my time for all the different stages and we, you know, we would, uh, had Carl here, so we were kind of. I was making sure that you know every week we were fooling around with um, different steps and different stages. And I, we got uh, my Carta from Very Good Knife Supplies. They they matched a color. This guy wanted a specific color, and that's how I got involved with them because the, he, they wanted a, this turquoise. They made me this beautiful turquoise. My Carta slipped it in as a spacer, and um, it looked great. And he wanted a specific. Yeah, he wanted all this specific. I'm like, you got it. And then he wanted his stencil. And I was all right. I got to get his stencil made. And then we did. We got everything done. And it turned out it was a great project. I was really happy how it turned out. The guy I was two weeks early, which I don't want to make it seem like I was two weeks early, but I was. I always back things up on it. If I have a tight deadline, I want to make sure that it's sent seven days before the deadline, just to make sure there's no like. I don't want to work my ass off, and then all of a sudden. There's like some sort of transit problem. So mm-hmm. I usually give myself seven days. And then I send him a message saying, all right, I'm ready to go. He's like, oh, you got 12, you know, you got two extra weeks. Take your time. Like two, eight weeks. He made a mistake on the time. I was 12 weeks, uh, two weeks early. And he was pumped. And, his, and it, he wrote me a real nice message. And it was just a great experience all the, the whole time. His cooks are pumped. I guess his cooks are afraid. 
his cooks were like nervous. So like they got, they were really sharp and, and, uh, they were very nervous about it, which I liked. I liked that too. So yeah, it was, it was the only cook, the only restaurant owner I've ever heard of to be that. And it wasn't cheap making 12 knives and he wanted to give it to his staff. So yeah. Generous. It was cool. Generous. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a good dude. He's a real good dude. So, and he wants to do it every, every year. So we're going to, we're going to keep that up. And it was a great project. It was a great, you know, it was, it was a mind stretching project. Yeah, that's a good pro- that's a good customer to have. How, oh, how are the yeah. how do different cooks keep track of whose knife is whose? They're numbered. That's their They're problem. Numbered. Originally, originally, <laughs> originally, that's a good question. Originally, they were going to be we were going to do their favorite every cook's favorite uh, football team or soccer or sports team. And okay. I was like, I was like, hey man, don't don't do this to me. I don't want to, like, I don't want to, uh, numbered and every 12 of them have a different sports team. We've got to track them. No, 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 no. Look, let me number them. They're going to be great. Stop playing. Do them the, you know, we're not doing that. So I had, we had to manage the expectations of the customer. I'm like, look, it's just going to be too hard to, oh, well, I don't know. He doesn't like the Eagles. He wants the Giants. It's like, ugh, leave me alone. You know, and then so you have these to, numbered, then you have to, so they're, yeah. they're the restaurant's knives. So if you leave the, the job, no, the knife stays no, and, and we get a new number no. five coming in. No, no, that would actually that'd be funny. No, he's giving it to them. I had to like, I really look. If you want this to really to happen, you gotta let's just stop it with the teams. Hmm. Everybody, I, I get that all the time. Oh, I'm a Jets fan. You make the Jets close. All right, yeah, fine, fine. I'll make you whatever you want. But you know, come on, twelve guys, different teams. Leave me alone. I don't want to be involved in that. You, you know what you need is a laser engraver. That makes I, it lickety split. Ah, hmm. uh, you're not wrong. Um, I, uh, we get a lot of calls for like, would you put my, will you put my name in it? And I always have to say no, because it's <laughs> annoying or we charge or we, char- we're like, sure. Then you gotta, we gotta, you're gonna buy the stencil and we, we charge, we make it, we make it hard enough. We make it so it's like, we make it expensive enough to discourage it, but I don't stamp sure. knives anymore. That's bullshit. And, and, uh, if you're gonna, if you want it, you gotta pay. Yeah, I mean, and a laser it. a laser's going to cost seven or eight grand for something that will do steel well. You know, you can get the cheap yeah. ones that will do on wood and so on. But a good fiber yeah. laser is going to be seven or eight grand. Yeah, those – I, I have a friend of mine is a police officer out in uh, New Jersey, and he had – I actually had to get something in laser engraved, and I went to his place. And it was like a $10,000 unit. It was piped. It had like Thanks. venting gases. It's a production. <clears throat> I, I ain't interested. What you can do, I mean, I put a video on this, uh, funny enough, on YouTube probably about a year ago is, you know, a really cheap way of doing it is these label printers that you can get, these cheap label printers, um, one of them do, uh, I think Brother make one, and it's actually a stencil that they'll print out. And that stencil is <laughs> fine for etching with. So if you've got your electro etcher, so you can just, oh, wow. you can just print out names or whatever you want to do. And that's what I do. So if I've got somebody who wants a name, Rather than go and get a, a, a stencil made, which you know, it can be quite expensive, especially if these are going to be used once, um, I just print out my own stencil. And they work fine. They work fine. The resolution is not amazing. And, and you can only do sort of you know, names, that kind of thing, simple text. Um, but they work well. So, yeah, that's on my YouTube channel, actually. So you can have a look at that. But it's, it's just a really cheap way of customizing knives without you know, buying new stencils a, or five or I'm six a- grand. Laser. I'm a. I'm not a fan of it. I mean, there's a, a couple of guys who do it really well. Nora Knives, Steve and Danny uh, well, yeah. over at Nora amazing, Knives. Amazing sure. stuff. They, they're. That's like. But for me, because I used to do. I remember I had a customer. This guy was such an asshole, 
and he got a gift and he wanted his he wanted his he wanted his, I was sending him yeah, I put my touch mark and he goes well what about my touch mark like, what, are, what are your touch mark you don't have a touch mark you didn't make this knife I mean that he said well I want my my initials in it and I was like well yeah it's, it was like a production what do you want your initials for and I don't want my initials and if you stamp you know the, some of these laser engraved it doesn't fit with what you're doing you know that's the problem. You know, and, and I, I, that's why I don't, I used to stamp it, but then you start adding stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's meant to be there. Mm -hmm. my, I like to, when I put my, my maker's mark on, I stencil it deep because it still looks like my touch mark, you know, for my hot stamp. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. these things, it just looks like it's just not meant to be there. And it's just like, you know, you want to say to these people, why? Why do you need your initials on? Mm -hmm. What, are you afraid you're going to lose it somewhere? If you I need do people to know. If I do it, I always make sure it's on the sort of shy side of the blade, so the opposite side to the uh, to my maker's mark. Um, which brings me to something actually, which I've noticed. Um, most people have their maker's knives on the left side of the blade, so the blade is pointing to the left. But I've noticed, right. Jeff, you have yours on the right. Is, is that a conscious decision? I, that or? is a conscious decision because I'm right-handed and. Always go. My dad used to say to me, "When you go into the first day of school, you always walk in on the your right foot first. So I've always been very conscious ah. of the right side, the right side, because it's it, it, it's you want to go with your right your right step right first. That's I got very very I, interesting that you said that. I'm very impressed that you thought about that. But at the same time, I'm not <laughs> sentimental, and I've done a through a couple on the left just because. What the fuck. <laughs> yeah, I <clears throat> I actually do mine on the right now. I used to do it all on the left because I was always told that's the presentation side. Mm. Um, but I've had my knives in the hands of some fancy pants people. Uh, one in particular that really cued me off on this was Andrew Zimmern. He was using some uh, my knife in one of his videos, and every time he set the hand the knife down, uh, the blade looked great and everything looked great. But you couldn't see my maker's mark. Yes. Because he's, he's yes. right-handed, he would lay it down with the left-facing side down when and the edge facing away with him so that when he goes to grab it, it's already in the proper orientation for him to start working with it. And so I started putting on, on the right-hand side for the most part. And I actually asked my customers uh, if they're right-handed or left-handed. And depending on their handedness, I will put the mark on that side because that is especially if they're doing a presentation they're doing a video somebody standing across the counter from them even um when they lay that knife down you will see the maker's mark facing you and be like what is malmasi fire arts or what is chopped knives or what is that what is the g star f that's it's a game a, changer a branding thing from now that's... on all of my knives will be on the right that makes perfect so the logo is on the outside of the blade so people can see it rather than just in you know inside food facing that that's genius. But, yeah, and but is this is it, this for TV? Are you talking about for it, TV? You never he, know well, where your did. knives will end up. You never know. You never know. They end up in magazines. They end up in all kinds of stuff. And if a chef is using your knife, happens to be using your knife in a photo shoot, and they lay it down with their hands there, and they got all this mise en place all over the cutting board, you see your knife. Well, they're going to see yours, Jeff, because you always put it on the right side anyways. But a lot of people put it on the left. And if it's on the left and the person's right-handed, they're not going to see this maker's mark. They're just going to see an attractive knife, but they don't know who it is. So it's, it's a small thing to do that isn't too, like, selfish, I think, in, in any way. It's, it's more than anything. It's kind of a smart branding move to make sure that your stuff's being seen. All right. It's Can like the way Apple 
the Apple has the Apple facing oriented so that other people can recognize that you're using an Apple computer versus when you open it, it uh, and it facing the, the user. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Apple's upside down so that when people see it and you have your computer open, they can quickly and easily identify that's an Apple Macintosh. I This is all very interesting. I tend to, I, with, you know, respect and love, I, I kind of disagree only because I'll give you an example. I had, a, and this is something that a lot of guys get. A lot of guys get, the, I worked with this company for a minute. And this company is a number of years ago. They wanted me to come into their showroom. It was down on uh, Lexington Avenue. It was a real big showroom. We were going to do something. And it was a whole big production, a whole big production. I had a meeting with them. We were going to figure it out. And then they ghosted me. You know, they didn't, you know, after all this production, they were going to figure out something and they'll walk away. I get a message from one of the guys who said, we're, 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 we represent this guy who's going to be on a Food Network competition show. And we would like if you gave him one of your knives because you'll get recognized because he'll be using your knife. And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, well, number one, you're asking me for your, well, number one, you're being cheeky because you're trying to do a guy a favor. If you're this big company, you buy him a knife. And number two, when you're watching these TV shows, nobody, all these TV shows, they don't care about your, your, your Brit. They're not going to promote you at all. And number three is you're watching this TV show. The guy puts the knife down. No one's being like, wait, stop the, stop the, stop the screen. I want to see what knife that is. I, I, I agree. And I've been, I, I agree with you, but at the same time, it's like, I don't get too, I don't get too. Sure. I also had a few chefs who are just like, oh, I'm going to be on this show. And I got a guy right now, as we speak, is going to be on some morning show with my knife. I'm like, no one's going to stop and say, I like this segment. What's that guy? No one's ever bought shit from looking at a guy with a knife on the TV. They're, See, they're barely going to look. Right, I have, right, I have a customer who has 3 million uh, subscribers on YouTube. All right. And anytime he uses my knife in his video, I have 20 new inquiries. All right. That's not nothing. All and right. here, here's my – well, and I, I think you're, you're right. also kind of starting to show your age a little bit. Because I think people do pause more often than you realize. You, you may yeah. not pause, but I think a lot of potential customers do pause and stop and see because that level of that, that branding, when somebody's like, oh my God, what's that knife that, you know, Forgione is using? Oh, it's a Jeff Fader. I want a fucking Jeff Fader knife because I love oh. Mike, or Mark Forgione's work and I want to be just like him. I want a knife just like he. But Jeff, Jeff is old, so if he pauses his VCR, it's all fuzzy. You're never going to be able to see what's going on. Oh, well, and I guess right. the, you know the other thing is... You know what? No, no, no. The other, the other <laughs> thing is, too, you know, we're all struggling... You got me there, get, Craig. You got me there, baby. You got me. We're all, we're all trying to get as much... It, it's, it's hard enough as it is. And if putting your maker's mark on the right side of a knife, so if it happens to be photographed, or it happens to show up in a video, or somebody's working with it and they post it on Instagram, that maker's mark shows and it helps you get more business. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Hmm. And I, maybe not everybody pauses, but some people do and they see that and it makes a difference. And I'm, I, want, I, I, I do it because I think it helps my business and I think it's a good tip that helps other people's businesses as well. I don't say this very often. And when I do, I mean it with sincerity. You are right. You are a hundred percent right. And I was 100% wrong. <laughs> say you're wrong. How do you like that? I understand I, listen, why you don't want to. I'm do a it. man. I am a man. Uh, I can. I can admit when I'm wrong. 
I appreciate what you, what you said was with, uh, with the facts and interest that you were very persuasive. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm wrong. And that's fine. I'm congrat- and and I, you, you're, you, you made me change my ways. And that's Well, you're already today. doing it the right way anyways. <laughs> well, then, then I was never wrong in the first place. No, I, I, you know what? I, 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 exactly. I, you, were, you were very – I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. That was an incredibly persuasive argument. And now I agree with you 100%. We're all you're on right. board. We're all you're right. fucking so, right. I wonder why it started on the left. You say it's presentation no side. Is that just standard across shows? People would lay them out – face into the left i think it i think that comes from an abs thing but mm. actually you know what i've noticed on commercially manufactured knives most of the the marking is on the left side i have no idea why mm. it doesn't make sense to me buck in the let's buck the trend buck the trend buck, there you go buck and trend tre, buck and trends <laughs> so let, let's talk about one of our sponsors yeah um so amk am concepts um they've got a great uh, well, they, they do great grinders. They do great accessories. They do they do great stuff. Um, but they got in touch with us and they said, "Look, we've got this as an example. Here, here's one of our grinders, AMK seventy seven. Um, it comes with a, a flat platen. It also comes with a twelve inch wheel, and it's just thirteen ninety nine. Um, and they've also given us a code, so it's cheaper. So if you use the code AMK ten on their website, which is amktactical.com, you're going to get 10% off. So whether that's that grinder or a different grinder, they do horizontal grinders, they do disc grinders, they, they do all sorts. 10% off anything that they do. And that's at amktactical.com. Every little bit counts. Everybody, Definitely. Every, every little bit helps. Boom. Shit. So I'll never do that again. Things oh, that people have baby. done in the shop that they wish they hadn't and hopefully they've learned their lesson. We've done this for the past few weeks now, and they just keep coming in. We've either got incredibly stupid listeners. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be honest, I think we've all done most of these. <laughs> we've all done most of these things. We've all done most of these things. So I'll start off, and and start off. we'll do it again. Yeah, and exactly. we'll do it again. Exactly. I'll start off with the first one, which is from um, Instagram. Is Racer Racks doing some wood stabilization right now? I just put some wood blanks in a big plastic jar. He'd been saving for the purpose. It used to be filled with plastic dinosaur figurines. Hmm. (laughs) He decided to use some dye. Um, So he poured in some aluminate dye and then he started pouring in the resin. He noticed it all started raining up the bottom. Fuck. So he had concentrated red cactus juice all over his nice refractory brick. Would have been a good idea to check the container, which had the vent holes purposely punched. So fuck. Cleanup's going to suck. RIP those refractory bricks. Yikes! That that I have happens. not done that one myself. <laughs> Do you know what? I have a story from my old, the old lead man mm-hmm. of my old shop, John Ledford. He said that he was once uh, they were finishing up a railing, uh, and they installed this railing, and they were doing some touch-up paint on the railing. So he had put some uh, touch-up paint in a coffee cup, and then um, it was oil-based uh, paint, and it was a it was just like a styrofoam cup, and it went it ate through the cup, and as he's on this deck. <laughs> The whole the the all the paint just came out of the bottom because it just ate away the the uh, it ate away all the the that happens man it ate away the the bottom of the styrofoam nasty Yikes. nasty ng 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 we got another one from at knifeworks that's at at knifeworks <laughs> he says this goes for she when she. you are putting. 
<laughs> and you're putting the finishing touches on the completed knife and you slip with the uh with the grinder and and unfixable done multiple times oh so, yes what, yeah just putting the last little touches on and then whoops the daisies yeah Ugh. yeah the, the, there's all these different points when I'm making a knife where things can go wrong. And it always used to be. I've managed to sort of sort it out a bit now, but it used to be with me. I used to etch the logo at the very last thing. So it would be handled, it would be polished, it would be sharpened. And my etching machine was just shit. And oh, the amount of times where I just fucked up and it was like, oh. So you've got to try and sort of scotch brighten that out, but you've still got, you've got the handle on, so you're never going to have it nice. Yeah, it's the worst thing when a knife is virtually done and just something's... And most of the time, it's just being stupid as well. You're just not concentrating. You're just like, ah, it's a killer. Absolute killer. That happens if you're doing your handles with a a disc grinder. If you're trying to flatten you with a disc grinder and you're kind of, I try to like thin down the bolster end. And then if you can, you sometimes you'll tap the, you'll tap the back end of your, of your handle and you kind of put some nice gouges in it. That's kind of Mm. a drag. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, My buddy, our buddy, Nate Zimmerman. Zim Knives writes, oops, switched on my Moloch power hammer. Uh, switch, the switch on my Moloch power hammer is being wonky. I opened it up. I noticed a, a screw came out. I grabbed my screwdriver to screw it back in. I didn't unplug the hammer. 220 volts does not feel great. Ooh. Oh, no. I can feel that I, from here. I will tell you a, a quick story. When I was uh, 19 or 20, I made a, a, a sculpture uh, with my buddy uh, Jamie Montgomery, we had a, a little shop in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. We made the sculpture. It was, and it's on Jeff Fader. If you go deep, 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 it's on Jeff Fader on Instagram. It was two monkeys. One monkey is standing on the back of another monkey, and then the, the monkey on the top is holding a um, a bunch of bananas. Like it's this teamwork thing. It's a stupid. It was this. These people wanted this dumb sculpture, and I made it. We made it. We made a couple bucks. So I was welding it with an arc welder, and I was actually sitting on the on the top. I was up in the air on a ladder, and I was welding the, the bunch of bananas onto the hands of the, the monkey. And my, my jeans were ripped, or I don't know what happened. The, the steel was very rusty. The arc welder was very, you know, whatever. And I made the – something happened, and I created the circuit with my leg. My leg actually my, – my, the rip in my pants, the skin made the connection, and I got, I got zapped so hard, I woke up. On the floor of the shop, I had pissed myself, <laughs> completely pissed myself. <laughs> and, and, I, I like, and I was like, what happened? And I'm on my back in the, in the floor of the shop, and I was like 220. I got <laughs> fucking zapped, and it, was like, it, it, it knocked the urine out of me. It was a complete blowout, and it was like, all right, no more ladders and welding for me, and no rips in my pants. Yeah, it's it's the worst. Electrocution is the worst. So, before we moved to France, my wife and I we used to have a little sort of small holding with animals and so on. Uh, we kept pigs, and somebody said they kept escaping. Somebody said you need an electric fence around there, and uh, you know the power is it's it's what I think it's twenty four volts. It's not much, but you know I'm pretty clumsy. So my wife is like, you're you're gonna you're gonna zap yourself at some point putting this fence up. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. So I spend the day now making this making this fence around the, the pig enclosure. Call my wife. It's all done. Come and have a look. Come and have a look. So I'm standing there, really proud, you know, alpha male, showing my wife the, the good work that I've done for the day. So I take yeah. a step back to take a good view, straight onto the wire end. I'm on the floor straight away. 
Yeah, oh. it's not nice. It's not nice. With two pigs running oh towards God. me to nuzzle at me as well. It wasn't oh. good. Well, they say, oh you know, electricity. What are you going to do? What was that phrase, Jeff? Electricity. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, I mean, it was actually I, when I worked for Charlie Palmer. I was I was fixing doing electrical, and I was like, you did you know, got to turn off the lights and make the connection. And you used to say to me, "Oh, don't worry, Fader. One ten's good for the blood. One ten's good for the blood." Like, and then all, I was going to tell it, and it was didn't make any. Didn't, yeah, electricity. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> do? <laughs> Sorry, Morocco. I, I, I was just starting to say. I had a I had a buddy that used to do a lot of auto body work and re- restoration on old Volkswagens, and uh, we were over hanging out uh, at his shop, and uh, we all started a circle where one person was holding on to the arc welder lead, and the other person at the very end of the circle was holding on to the ground, and we were doing an electrical, so we were all connecting, grounding out, and we could feel the electricity running through us. It was fucking crazy, mm. but we kept I- narrowing it down till it was one person and myself, and uh, I. We were just touching, barely touching fingertips, and then I grabbed my friend's hand really hard, and he freaked the fuck out, and he couldn't <laughs> let go. So I had to let go of him. <laughs> but uh, that's like jackass. But I've definitely been shocked. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've been shocked a few times. I used to, actually also I played with electrical fences. <laughs> mm. uh, I sound mm. like a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, you know what? And my you know mom. What? <laughs> my mom was so pissed at me when it happened with the arc welder. She's like. That could make your heart stop. And she, I was like, well, I'm fine. And she's like, no. I mean, like, six months from now. Like, it just messes. Allowing electricity to run through your body like that can really mess you up later on down the road. And I didn't know that. And so then I was like, ooh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll do that that's, anymore. Yeah. That's, that's not good. I, the only time I deal with, you know what I hate, and this back to knife making because some people worry about our content, is when I have – I put a on – on my platen, I put a, uh, a Pyrex plate on the back of my – on the front of my platen. And what that does is it helps to um, – it doesn't wear the – your platen so much, this, it doesn't wear as well. But when you're using like a gator belt or certain types of belts, it – when you're grinding, it builds up – like static charge mm. to the point where you actually see electricity going from the platen in the belt through the steel. So sometimes you do, you get a shock, like a static shock, but you can actually see the electricity. So, you know, you mocked my special shoes a few weeks ago. These shoes. Bullshit, that was just some bullshit shoes right there. <laughs> These I shoes waiting are for you to bring them up. They'll ground you. They'll completely ground you. You'll be fine. <laughs> ground you? Yeah, hey, hey. You make fun of me for being old in my VCR? Those are some bullshit <laughs> shoes. Those are some bullshit. Those are some, I'm not even going to make fun of you, but those are like, I was like, what the, f- what are you doing? What are those shoes are off? Those are terrible. Those are terrible shoes. They're ugly, ugly but comfortable. So we've got another yeah. one from Gabe7466, um, again on Instagram. So I was working on a knife, and I had just quenched and tempered. But for some dumb reason, instead of finish grinding, he went straight to the glue up. So not that he can't fix it, but it's just a pain. Hmm. Mm. It's not going to be good. Missing steps uh, like that. It's, it's easily done, though, isn't it? You, you know, you concentrate on the next step, and you just... Yeah, you, sure. you have things you're thinking about, and obviously it's not what you're supposed to be doing. So that happens a lot. I, I get very, Sometimes I have to turn everything off my and just like stop for a second to be like am i did I get everything right like before heat treatment like did i make sure i did everything i'm supposed to do before i put these in because you know it happened and it mm. sucks drilling holes i've forgotten so many times heat yeah, treats sure. pain well and i think that's what 
uh, a big takeaway I've taken from Jeff uh, is his. He has like a list uh, where he checks in with his customer. Oh, excuse me, with his customers and sends them emails. But it's also good for uh, him and keeping track of where he's at. And so I've taken, I've I've started doing that where I basically have an order of operations, so I can go back and check in with where I'm at and what I need to do next. Because I definitely get distracted yeah. and have screwed them, screwed some things up. I finished. Uh, I I think I talked about this before, but I finished ground a couple. Mosaic Damascus knives before even heat treating them, and both of those blades at like probably twelve hours of work, twenty hours of work down the drain. Ooh. It's heartbreaking, but it's because I just get distracted and didn't properly label them yeah. or wasn't paying attention to. That was actually before I had my order of operations list, and so now I just kind of have like this long sheet that says, "All right, after you do this, this next thing needs to happen." <laughs> Yeah, well, you but difference. the more you do it, the more muscle memory comes in, and you know what's supposed to happen next. You know, so it's like, right. and sometimes there are some little there's some little backups you can do to, you know, and then you figure out some backups to do if you you know it's not a total disaster. Mm. Yeah. I, I always find it happens because I mean, let's let's say I'm making a custom knife; it's a one off. But you know, economically, it doesn't make sense to just heat treat one blade at a time. So I'll, I'll maybe heat treat a bunch of blades, set the others aside finish this one knife then come back and what stage am i at with these you know are they heat treated or you know that that's generally how i lose track of things yeah need a system need a system a system's good but also like also you know i'm trying to figure out how you can kind of like i did a couple knives and i forgot to put jimping on one of them and i heat treated i'm like well wow what are you gonna do i'm not gonna take a grinder and grind in the jimping i'm like all right well i'm gonna make a new one and then i'll use that for you know i'll make that for myself or something or for the shop so these some of the things is just you know, it's 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 always just not paying attention. It's always yeah, just like something else on your mind, and you just like blow it. There is a way around that, by the way. You could use a four and a half inch angle grinder. That'll grind through anything. You can put jimping in with your angle grinder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the biggest jimping of all time with the yes. gr- angle grinder. Oh my god! <laughs> you, I want to see. You, let me see your right angle grinder jimping. I want to see how clean it is. Don't, don't <laughs> upset Still, the community. Don't upset. The, awaken oh, the community. You don't want to be doing uh, that. Yeah. Well, I always thought. You know, I started thinking about the right angle grinder community, and I think that when you're when you're at the stage most of the people are in, where you don't have you know water jet cutters, you don't have like million dollar operations. Everybody who has a you know you 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 buy a right angle grinder because it works, and you don't like it, but it works. We're all in this goddamn community. Once we we need to get that not we need to get out of it, but we're all going to be in it for a long time. Hmm. I'm yeah. I'm a fully paid up member, so I, I still yeah. use a, a right angle. <laughs> <laughs> I still use an angle grinder for for cutting out my blanks. Um, yeah. I, I don't use a, a bandsaw for that because I just find I was just going through so many uh, belts. Uh, sorry, uh, blades, and they're not easy to come right. by where I am. So you know, yeah. uh, abrasive wheels for the for the grinder. They're easy to come by, and I can just I can just smash through them. I'm a resentful. Sure. I'm a resentful member. I'm resentful, <laughs> and my dues are not. My I don't even want to pay my dues anymore. Did you hear your dues lapsed? <laughs> you know they they don't they don't care they don't care. I'll, I'll be in the right angle runner community till the day I die. I hate it. <laughs> I was gonna say for that jimping, if you already hardened your blade, uh, they do make diamond. Uh, what is it like a diamond? Not diamond crusted, but they're needle files uh, with like a, a, that have diamond. Mm. crushed diamond around the outside that you could cut in and file in the jimping possibly after you've already heat treated the blade if you miss that or for some reason a customer has said oh i want jimping on the spine of the blade 
but one thing is, is you get those jimping files and you're like, nothing's better than that. Like five passes and you got nice jimping that's even. I don't want to fuck around I see. doing one tooth at a time. That's like, that's like right angle grinder community shit. I don't want to do that. I want <laughs> one file, five strokes and put it in the oven. So we've had so many people asking about this question, and we've we've sort of touched on it many, many times uh, over the weeks. And that is what we do. Is it a craft or is it an art? Uh, so I think I'm going to hand you straight over to Mr. Fader because he's got viewpoints on this. Look, Actually, before he, he starts, I, I think the reason I'm super confused about Jeff's uh, position is because I feel like Art is art no matter how it's being sold or mm. moved around or whatever. And it, from what I understand from the few times we've talked about or touched on it with Jeff is that it, it feels like his definition is based around how, how people are using the art, if it's part of a business or is it, you know, how, is it making money or is it not? Or I don't know. So I really look forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, Mr. You know, Fader. you're also going to get a lot of bullshit from me. So I, the thing is, is like, <laughs> you know, I get passages. Oh, I wanted somebody wants to debate me on whether or not it's art, and and my response is this. Here's here's the debate. You can't. I'm not. I'm not talking to every Tom, Dick, and Harry about the fucking what if it's art or not. But you gotta you gotta <laughs> really uh, you gotta bring me some credentials. So if you want to talk about art to me and tell me I'm wrong, I need. See a copy of your certificate, your MFA. I need to get the re- I need to get recommendations from your art teachers, and I need a carousel of slides. That's it. That's it. So here's my opinion. I was a sculptor. Michelangelo would be fucked. Yeah. Well, look. <laughs> just saying. I'm just. I'm giving you a very. Well, he's dead, so I don't. We don't have to worry about him, do we? So I think that. I think that. Here's my opinion. Really, honestly. It doesn't. Re- you should be able to feel comfortable with whatever you're doing. I just get. When I was an artist and a sculptor, I went to art school, and then I started, uh, I started a uh, postgraduate art, art uh, critique with the museum in the Hudson Valley. We had the best artists, and we would do postgraduate critiques on work. I started to see how a lot of gallerists are, a lot of museums are, a lot of galleries are, and how they view art and how they view what artists do. And a lot of times... There's, it's not about the virtue. It's not about the intention. It's about the commodity. So I would talk to other artists, and I was doing a lot of these critiques, and I was talking to these gallerists, and I had a couple galleries, and I just, I just, I just felt like a lot of times my opinion of what an artist is, specifically, is someone who's just extraordinarily more narcissistic than your average human being. And you're, you're, what you're trying to do is the idea of what an artist is, is you're, the concept is I am making an expression uh, and I'm expressing myself and who I am and I'm, I'm manifesting it into something, whether it be a painting or a sculpture or a dance or music or whatever. I'm expressing myself artistically. And I think that there's value to that. But... The problem is, is it's the narcissism of not only do I feel like I'm, I'm expressing myself, but I, I, I want you to, you need to, you need to buy, you need to see my expression too and appreciate it. So I, I just generally get very like, 
you know, the older I get, the more crotchety I get about what art is. I, you know, you want to say it's usually when someone says to me about my knives, they say, oh, this is art. I usually say, I don't say anything, but my mind, I'm like, it's not art. I think that my opinion is, is that art is a, um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, I wasn't a hundred percent prepared for this, but uh, what art is, is it's an expression of an idea and you're manifesting it and you're designing it and you're executing it and you're seeing it out. And a lot of times I think that the original idea is very crucial. So I think that, you know, when we talk about knives being art, uh, a lot of times you'll hear somebody say, this is my art or this is your art or you're an artist. And a lot of times those people have never been to art school. They don't understand what, you know, they don't understand what a critique is. And when we deal with critiques, especially, and I'm not being a hundred percent as uh efficient as I should be. But, you know, critiques when you're looking at knives, you're getting a critique in regards to the craftsmanship of the project. You're doing the fit and the finish or how the bevel looks or how the, the, the proportions or the lugs of the guard. Or, or the, You're not talking about the intention of the knife maker. You're not having, when you're going to looking at art and you're having an art critique, you're talking about the contention, the uh, intention and the direction of the work itself. It's, an, it's more about the expression as opposed to the craftsmanship. When you're an artist and you're looking at the craftsmanship, that's not the art. The technical aspects is not the art. When you're building a sculpture, nobody cares if you TIG welded or not. It's the final result and whether it's successful as a piece of art or not. When we look at knives, we don't look at the intention of the artist. We look at the craftsmanship. We look at the skill involved. And when it comes to art, that doesn't matter. If you made a, a sculpture in five minutes or five years, it's judged the same way. So I think that we're getting into to this kind of wealth of nonsense. And what I'm trying to also say is, is don't feel the need. Don't feel the need that an artist is more valuable than a craftsperson. It's nonsense. You're, you, you, you have this idea of what an artist is, and it's this person sitting in a cafe with a fucking beret on, and they're smoking cigarettes and drinking cappuccinos, and we're going to art shows, and we're meeting with like famous people, we're dressing funny. This is not, this is not what an artist is. You know? and, and I think that these craftspeople have these opinions. I want that. I want, to, I, want the, I want to be able to tell people I'm an artist. And go ahead. It's fine. Hmm. But but it's like it's just you're, you. I think you're devaluing what you're doing because you're offended that you're that you're you're offended hmm. that you're you're not being considered an artist. Hmm. Go ahead, guys. I've been talking for a while, and I'm not 100 percent sure what I said. I I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> but I I think <clears throat> defining yourself as an artist is just is just a crazy thing to do. Because it's to douchey. Me, it's it is, douchey. It is. I think art is. It's art when somebody else says it's art, not when you make. I can't make something say, "Oh, I made an art. This is this is my art." It needs <laughs> well, to be. But it yeah, needs to be appreciated by somebody else. It doesn't and need I, to be appreciated by someone else. And I think you. Go, go on, ahead. Go on. No, please go ahead. Finish. <laughs> and I think it's 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 maybe a, a failure of the English language that because it's such a broad, broad term. I mean, if you look at you know mm. the, the famous was in the nineties, you know Tracy Emin with you know with the, with the unmade bed. And people, you know, it, it won you know huge art sort of accolades and all the rest of it. And to, to many people, including myself, it's not art. Um, but to some, <laughs> but to some people, it is art. And when you think of even the word artist, you've got, you know, people saying a knife maker's artists. Then people will also say, are uh, you know, an actor may call himself an artist. 
they're not even in the same realm. That what what they do is just so so different. So I think it's it's this mm-hmm. overall catch all term that anybody seems to be jumping onto. But it's really all about the output and whether a a customer or a viewer thinks it's art. I mean, setting out to make art, I don't think makes any sense because it, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's up to the person who sees it and what they believe is art. That that's my opinion. But really, the on, honesty, honestly. It's about the perception. People want what people would prefer to be called artists than craftspeople, and that's a problem that we have in our mind, in our own minds. You have this idea of what an artist is, and um, maybe they're more important, or they're more uh, intellectual, or more philosophical, or they're mm. they have more whatever. They're more uh, egalitarian, but it's it's a it's a foolish and it's a, a outdated word. To to uh, to describe something, to describe somebody, but in regards to I made an art, you don't say I made an art, but I do say I made a when I say I made a sculpture, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. a painting. Or if I'm a painter, I made a painting. But that's you know, you're right. It's just it becomes very douchey. But I, I, I honestly, my honestly, what it really comes down to is I have way more respect for knife makers than artists. And I, I what I don't want is I don't want knife makers to feel like they have to be artists because artists are assholes. I, I will tell you this. I have most of my friends who are artists I don't have a respect for. And I, there's only a handful of them that I really enjoy talking to. But <laughs> honestly, 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 the idea of what an artist is is closer to a prostitute than it is to be some sort of, you know, Picasso. Because you're, 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 you're focusing on hope. And your hope is, is that a gallery is going to discover you, you're going to make some money, or you're going to be able to do all these things that you want to do. And really what it comes down to is you become less in control of what you're doing. And it's, it's, there's no such thing as a struggling lawyer. I, I'm telling you, don't, be an, don't think of yourself an artist, and don't be upset about it when people say you're not an artist. You should be like, fucking A, right, I'm not an artist. I'm a business person, or I'm a knife maker, or whatever. Don't. Don't feel you have to be an artist. But That's if you want to be an artist, be a fucking artist. I don't honestly, I, feel, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I, I feel like I still don't understand your definition or why you say you have more respect for uh, a craftsman, like a knife maker or woodworker versus an artist. I, it's just, I, I guess it's, I'm still stuck in my own head thinking that an artist is just an artist is an art. It's like if, if a human identifies as a lizard they're not a fucking lizard they're still a human and i think an artist i I guess i've always thought of artists not necessarily i guess in the same terms as you do Uh, an artist just is somebody who is creative and capable of things that many other people i mean some other people but you know a wide swath of the population isn't capable of doing um and and it is well, done in an art, I guess, artistic way. And I don't know. I didn't go. I don't have an MFA. I mean, no, I guess. I, I, that's all joking. I mean, honestly, I, I'm just trying to make I'm just trying to be a little bit obnoxious. But a bit, <laughs> I think that I think that I think it's more of a societal uh, uh, condition that you've created this kind of hierarchy in regards to craftspeople and artists. And, and I think that I just think that I like to, you know, 
look, everybody needs a little bit of controversy, and this is the one I like. So I, sure. it, it doesn't really mean anything, honestly. And but I do don't I do not believe that it is art. And and I think that if you were to take a knife and bring it to a gallery on uh, down in the Lower East Side, and you say I want to have a show, here's my art, they're not they're going to say go fuck away off. You know, it's it's. Right. However, the stupidest part is knives are better commodity than an art is because art is based on speculation too. Um, I, I, it's a long, it's a long process. You know, I'm, I can hear people saying, "When are you going to talk about knives?" You know, I, 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 th- I think that we can keep I, I dipping can back in back this mother. We can dip, we can keep dipping back. Look, there are guys, <laughs> there are guys out there who I, I and my actually my community showcase is going to be someone who bridges the gap between being a craftsperson and an artist. But um, I sure. think that um, you know, look, I, I, I honestly, honestly, this is my like I. I think that you should be comfortable with who you are. However, when you start calling yourself an artist, people are going to think you're a douchebag. So, how do you like that? Yeah, yeah, and that, that's where I'm. I'm definitely with you. Like, I've never really defined myself ever as an artist. It's just the stuff I do. I'll, other people consider art, and so I guess I kind of agree with uh, Craig a little bit on that point. Is that you know, it's not up to me whether I'm. I think I'm an artist, and I'm just. I've always been referred to as an artist or the work that I do is art artful. Um, but I think I agree with you, Greg, or, uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, George, Greg, I, George, I, I met, George, Melded, Craig, I married George, you guys. Matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> I, th- I do think that people for the most part, especially knife makers who are referring to themselves as artists are using it essentially as like a social currency in a way. That's right. It has, exactly. It yeah. has, mo- uh, it has, more revere for it versus a craftsman. And I mean, it goes, that goes back hundreds of years. I mean, craftsmen were looked at as jobs that nobody wants to fucking do. And now people consider it art or, or just so few people have the skills to do fine craft work that it's seen as art. Um, But I think referring to themselves as artists is not necessarily the smartest move. I think they should very clearly define themselves as a craftsman who is, especially if they're, high level and they have the skills to do pretty much anything like there's i think own it uh but don't try to use it because you think it has more uh social value or or That's, or helps bring your status up in some way right i, mean, I right. think yeah i think you gotta you you gotta own the craftsmanship portion of the work that you do as an yeah. these are all these are all labels that really mean nothing and, and and if you really want to and if we can we don't have to talk about this anymore if you want to but i will say that if you want to hear someone who's very interesting talk about craftsmanship versus art is jesse james uh, pope of welding was on the blacksmith's pub and he he actually did a, a collaboration with uh albert paley who was uh, one of the best blacksmiths and sculptors in the united states and he talks about craftsmanship. He talks about being an artist and being a craftsman. And it was I didn't I didn't agree with everything he said, but that is he that was a very very he's a very very smart in regards to you know the valuing uh, working with your hands and 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 the last thing I will say is um, we made a joke a while ago. Bob Loveless did a video and I posted it on Facebook and I liked the fact that the way he talked about what he does is he said that. Um, and then I agree with this. When I was a sculptor, there, there is no greater feeling of accomplishment. He said there's no better high than the, uh, the creation of something with your own two hands. And that's true, totally true. I never like going to galleries. I never like going to art shows. But it's that being by yourself and it's that compulsion and designing something and executing it. There's no better feeling than that and that there is a connection between artists and craftspeople because 
you get that buzz, that high, that satisfaction from creating something with your hands and a little technique. It doesn't mean that an artist and a craftsperson are totally different. There is a lot of kind of similarities and connections, but um, it's really, to me, it's a compulsion. It's the compulsion that you love what you're doing so much. You have to, you're compelled to do it without, without anything else. I mean, you, that's all you think about. It's all you want to do is you want to get back and you want to make whatever you're making, whether it's whatever you're doing. But I look, beef out. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> okay, I'm going to push things a little further. So in here, in, in France, we have a lot of people, and technically, for tax purposes, I am a, an artisan. So I've, I've just looked it up, actually, as we've been speaking, what the definition of an artisan is. So it's a worker in a skilled trade, especially one that involves making things by hand. So I'd say we're probably spanning the, the difference between a craftsman and an artist by being an right. artisan. Yeah. And here in France, mm. we have artisan plumbers, artisan electricians. My, my baker across the road is an artisan baker. Um, yeah. He's just skilled at using their hands. So maybe, right. maybe that's a good word for us. Yeah, I think that's a good – I mean, I think that makes a lot, a lot of sense. I mean, I do know chefs who think they're artists, and I have to unfortunately tell them they're not. But at the same time, it's like, you know <laughs> – Let's get on with this goddamn show. Everyone's pulling their hair. You're they jaded, hear, Jeff. You're they fucking hear, jaded, bro. They want to hear about sanding. They want to hear about plunge lines. They want to hear about betting the tang. They don't want to hear about this, <laughs> non, this philosophical nonsense. Stop it. Craig's Community Showcase. All right. So, again, this is our time in the, the show where we talk to people or talk about the people who inspire us. Who uh, who really uh, just really give back in a, a lot of different ways, and who really push us? At, at least for me personally, you know, pushes me to continue to strive to do greater and greater work, or or try out new techniques and things uh, that I've never done before in my work. So, uh, so yeah, Craig, let's start with you. What do you got? Who do you got? Mine's not necessarily in the knife making community, but there is a reason why I've chosen this person. So before I started making knives. Um, I had a very, very brief spell. And when I say brief, I'd say probably a day and a half, two days um, of making spoons, wooden spoons. That's what got me into sort of making things. And I went down that rabbit hole and then I found, you know, videos of knife makers online. Then I I quickly sort of changed path. Um, But I ordered a spoon recently, a a handmade spoon from from Boot Hill Kitchen, from Kylie Thatcher. So Gerard's partner, who we've had on the show in the past. Um, and it is, <laughs> it's a work of art. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Um, and it just reminded me of, of really why I got into, into making knives as well. And, and it's such a lovely thing to have, something that you use every day that you know has been made by hand. And, well, she just makes beautiful, beautiful knives. And, you know, not knives. So, sorry, spoons, spoons. And not the normal spoons. So, I mean, I, I bought a, a taster spoon, so it had a, you know, a normal sort of stirring spoon on one end and a very small, almost like coffee scoop on the other end for tasting whilst you're cooking. Um, so you, you don't need to double dip. Um, but yeah, just beautiful, beautiful things. And and there's another maker actually, which I, I am. I know we're only supposed to do one each, but the other one is the other one is Hatchet and Bear. So it's it's one word on Instagram, Hatchet and Bear, um, and that's E J Osborne. So again, um, he is a a knife. Uh, sorry, a spoon carver, um, and. A, that's how I got into it. So I went on one of EJ's courses. Um, it was just a one day of, we sat in the woods and we carved a spoon. 
Um, and it was my birthday just last week, and my wife bought me EJ's book, which was Spoon Carving, and it's a guide to how to, you know, how to carve spoons. So it's something that I want to do again. It's something that, you know, I, I found quite therapeutic. Um, but go and have a look at Kylie's work, which is Boot Hill underscore Kitchen on Instagram, and also Hatchet and Bear on Instagram. Um, they're both great spoon carvers. Can I hop you in real quick? You make yourself on? a cooking knife. Can I hop in real quick? I got two... They're they're called. It's the name's not good. I got from uh, Boot Hill Kitchen. I got two spoochulas. This is not a good name, but basically, <laughs> so this is something that a lot most home cooks don't realize. Wooden spoons are great, except for the corners. They they make you'll sometimes you'll see in a in a you'll ha, you'll see one side has like a right angle, and the right angle on the round spoon, what that does is lets you get into corners. Those are awesome. And I got two of them from Boot Hill Kitchen and I love them. They're walnut. They're awesome. I love, get yourself a wooden spoon with a right angle on one side, a right angle. You'll thank me. Number two is if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy knives for uh, spoon carving, Reed Schwartz. Reed Schwartz makes old school, I think they're called Sloyd knives. He forges the knives and he makes these beautiful Spoon carving knives and little carving knives. Reed Schwartz. Beef out. Am mm. I supposed to say that every time I stop? Beef is that, is that beef the beef out's our punctuation? Just going beef back out. to what uh, what you said there, Jeff, about the, about the right-angled corner on the spoon. Yeah. Um, it's called an angel tear. So um, back in Wales, it's mm, one of our, so our sort of... Name. It's one of our things. They were called love spoons. And so what people used to do generations and generations ago, they'd carve a spoon for their loved one. And so those ones uh-huh. that have that corner in, so you can get to the corner of a pan, they call them angel tears. They're wow, fa- that's way better fact. than spoochula. Spoochula sounds like, you know, like, never mind. Other stuff. <laughs> Jeff, yeah. who, who do you got? <laughs> All right. Well, I've Jeff, said it before, yeah. and it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense for this podcast. We talk about art. And, and, and uh, I've talked about my brother, my good friend, Sunset Forge NJ is John Ariane. He is what I see as uh, one of my favorite blacksmith sculptors is uh, Fred Christ, who has bridged the gap between being a fine craftsperson and a fine artist. I will say that John Ariane has been making a Sunset Forge NJ has been making a pile of hammers, and he's been making a lot of hammers for knife makers. He is an extraordinary blacksmith. He also has an MFA, which he refers to as he's MFA stands for motherfucking artist. And he is a real full blast. He joins it, man. And he makes awesome hammers. I have a number of his hammers. He's a, a, a awesome guy. He, I know he made a hammer for Josh Prince. I know he made a hammer for Fell Knives. He's been making hammers for one. a lot of people. He made one for me. He made one hammer for you. He makes a beautiful hammers and axes. He's also, he makes beautiful sculpture. He is. He bridges that gap between that kind of old school craftsman blacksmith and this idea of the modern, um, a modern sculptor. And he's one of my close friends. I love that guy. He and I text all the time. We. It's. He's just an awesome dude. And if you're gonna buy a hammer, buy one from him. And um, he's the only. He outranks me in the art world. So I actually listen to him in regards to uh, his opinion. His opinion supersedes mine. I salute when I see him. And that's it. Keep out. Love it. <laughs> Morocco, who have you got? Uh, I have a maker who is a female maker because we got a little uh, hate from, well, not hate. We, we, we were getting our buttons pushed a little bit by somebody saying that we don't give any love to the, the female knife makers. Though, 
Uh, Cray has an interview with Olivia Garriga of mm-hmm. Wildcraft Knives that everybody should go back into the archives and listen to. It's a great conversation. She's also super talented. But uh, to show some more love uh, to our Sisters of the Blade, uh, I wanted to... I want to give a shout out to Haley DeRosiers. She's on Instagram, H DeRosiers Knives, and DeRosiers is spelled D E S R O S I E R S Knives. It's a hard one. Um, we'll tag her up. But she she's one. She's actually one of the first, if not the first, female uh, knife maker that I've ever met. Met, and her work is super high level, very clean. She does really great Damascus. She's traveled around the world and worked with and learned from some of the uh the best knife makers in the world and uh her husband is actually she's she's a master smith and her husband is also a master smith uh in the abs his name is adam derogers and uh you can find both of their stuff online but Haley just is a phenomenal craftsperson and art artisan and she has uh she recently has actually started getting into chef's knives just in the last few years and uh she does really awesome stuff i don't i don't know what to say like she just does really excellent work it's super inspiring to me how clean her forging is her grinding fit up everything uh you know she does a lot of these keyhole style knives which means you have like an integral bolster uh as well as partial uh tang for the knife and you cut in like a key what looks like a keyhole uh like an old door that uh, that you would see, and uh, and then you press fit the handle material onto the tang, and the tang is like simultaneously cutting the handle material at the same time, so it's just a, a super tight fit. It's actually kind of like a spring tension fit. Anyways, she does an awesome job with those too. So anyways, get out there, go check her out on Instagram. She's a phenomenal maker, very, uh, very inspiring stuff, and I just got to give her some love. Shout out to the ladies. Including, yeah. don't, never yeah. forget, never forget Jackie Awesome, our homie, our homie Jackie Awesome. Shout out to the ladies. Yeah. I'd, I'd say there's probably is more ladies out there um, making stuff that we're, we aren't aware of. Because I know a oh, lot of them, sure. when they put themselves forward, they get a lot of shit. A yeah, lot of shit. Lot undeserved, of shit. undeserved. Yeah. Super um, undeserved. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be great to feature more females. But I understand why some of them maybe don't want to put themselves out there so much. Yeah, it's really, it's really like unnecessary. Yeah, you know, very unnecessary. Shout Moving out on. to the ladies. Shout out to the ladies. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> First question. This is sorry. So, hey man, can I qu- ask you a question? Is where your opportunity as a listener to uh, contribute to the show. Follow us on Instagram at uh, Knife Talk Podcast, and usually on a Wednesday. We'll do something where DM us a question. You say, hey, man, can I ask you a question? And then you can submit for the show. And if it's if it's a good question, some of these questions ain't great. So uh, the first um, <laughs> the first question, the first, hey, man, can I ask you a question comes from BGM Knives. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? I don't watch Forge and Fire, and I was wondering if the participants keep their blades that they made after the show is complete. Thanks, John. Marekko? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I guess that one's for me. Uh, no, none of us get to keep our blades. Though, just in the fourth season, uh, they started allowing the the runner up competitor. Uh, so you have a winner at the end of the show. So the runner up uh, now gets to get their weapon back. Um, but until the beginning of the fourth season, um, 
they didn't do that. And my my buddy, who was actually on my my episode, the judges picked. It was season one, or sorry, season four, episode one. He was the one that really pushed this for the makers. And and, and the reason is is when you end up runner up, you're first off you're out about three weeks worth of work, and then to come up second place, you get nothing. No compensation, no nothing. They try to tell you that it's advertisement, and as uh, Jeff can attest to the Epicurious video, like it, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't translate in sales. And a part of it, especially on the Fortune Fire Show, is they do a garbage job of promoting the makers. Yeah, they only yeah. give the first name. They don't say who the person. They don't even give a credit. To so like the the any, any of the competitors' full names, their website, what their business name, or any of that is. Though that's how they pose it when you're there competing. They're like, "Oh, there's going to be great advertising. This is like ten thousand dollars worth of advertising for you." It's like, no, it's not. So it's a bull- it is some sadly, bullshit. It is some real bullshit. It is some bullshit. Sadly, we do not get to keep our knives. Second placers from now on, though, get to keep their uh, second place weapon. Um, but realistically, the the knife made in the first two rounds, I don't know if many people really want to keep them. They're not very useful <laughs> for the most part. I, a real, it, it's hard to make a really good knife in six hours. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what they're doing with them. They're selling them for twenty nine ninety nine with a free pairing <laughs> knife. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> good one. Good I one. About that. So so, but what do they? But what do they do with them all? They, they what do they do with the winners? What do they just put them on a wall? They be, yeah no they become props they they become wall decorations in the uh, in the studio, uh, at, at where they film the first two rounds and the final reveal round where they do all the testing, uh, they become decorations on the wall. That's some bullshit. I mean, it's so dumb. It's just like it it, it does get you a little bit angry. Um, we're gonna get into it more, but I mean, it's like. These people are doing all this work for no- – I, I always thought, to be honest with you, if you won, it ain't worth $10,000. I mean $10,000 is bullshit. I mean that, you can't do shit with $10,000. You can't start a business with $10,000. It's just yeah. like it's well, just, and it's just stupid. And they- you, you get taxed as, a, as an independent contractor. So 30% of that's gone right off the Wow. wow. It's, some bull- it's some bullshit. It's some, it's some bullshit. There you go. First, hey man, kind of question. Got angry. Check your blood pressure, everybody. <laughs> the second question is from Sam Hill Knives. Hey man, can I ask you a question? How come no one has pointed out that Fader, Jeff Fader, is Vince Vaughn's long lost brother? Uh, Jeff has <sighs> pointed that out actually himself wow. uh, on his Instagram. Jeff, Jeff, Sam, Jeff has been Jeff has been gotta, told gotta Jeff. Jeff has been told he looks like Vince Vaughn. For so, yeah, I'll tell you what it is, and, it, and you know what? I, thank you, thank you. I, I'm I've been getting, I've been getting, <laughs> I've been getting, I've been getting Sam, I've been getting uh, Vince Vaughn for years. It's, and the, here's the reason why: we both have terrible bags under our eyes, and we have high foreheads, and we have brown kind of curly hair. Other than that, and we're like a little doughy, we're a little doughy and spent looking. It's not. Look, it's not the. I appreciate <laughs> it. It's it's usually the parts that are similar are the spent parts. So I've been getting Vince Vaughn for a long time, and and when you even say I don't even like to say it because it makes me sound like a douchebag. Yeah, Vince Vaughn. My family said it. You get the whole. Um, you, I will say that this is funny. Uh, I guess uh, Vince Vaughn uh, studied uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with uh, Gracies, and somebody took a picture of him getting his white getting a white belt with the Gracie brothers or something like that. So I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just take it and I. So I screen capped it and I put it on Facebook. And I said, I'm so happy that I got 
I'm so happy that I'm here at Gracie <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. It's been a lifelong thing. And then when he gets his blue belt, I'm like, I work really hard for this blue belt. Blue belt and, and it clearly it's not me. It's clearly Vince Vaughn. And all these people are congratulating me. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations to your blue belt. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped. And then once in a while people are like, that's you? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. But I – yeah, I get, it, I get it a lot. And it's But the funny part is, is I know where it's coming. I appreciate it. But it's coming from the spent parts. It's all the pathetic, you know, washed up parts. It's the high forehead and the bags <laughs> in your eyes and looking hungover and without sleep. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's not the bad. I appreciate it. Fine. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's keep going. Oh. All right. Our next, our next one is from our, our guy, replacement Jeff, Josh Scott Knives. <laughs> He says, what's up, KTP? Question, do you guys work off a daily schedule or fly by the seat of your uh, – he also notes here, his pant size is 38. 32. No, he was making fly a joke because I said – he's, he's, he, he, It was my – I'm 38. And hope for progress on a daily basis. One of the hardest things for me is scheduling. Seems like I'm always biting off more than I can chew and getting down – uh, about not meeting my daily goals. I work in a monthly batch of approximately eight to ten knives to give you some reference. Jeff, you work in a production pace. Well, well both you guys do more of a production style model I, than I, I do currently. I try to, I, you know, in order for me to get this business right, I really had to not only just say that I'm in this business, but I had to prove it. So part of that is, is like, you know, I try to deal with, um, you know, statistics. I try to deal with like, uh, you know, real world numbers. And part of that is efficiency. And part of that is being efficient in your mind. And I am a huge, huge proponent. Every time I'm organized, everything I do is always better. Like when I, if I, I spoke at uh, Blue Hill with all these 150 cooks, I was prepared. When I, when I, when I, when I even want to do this podcast, I prepare. Like I look, I, I, we do, I do a lot of preparation. And I will say that when I am prepared and I'm not flying by the seat of my seat of my pants, I'm far more efficient and effective. To the point where, so I have long-term goals, I have year goals, I have month goals, I have, and the best is I have weekly goals. So what I try to do is I try to think, all right, at the end of this week, I need to be shipping five knives. So I need to go. I work backwards in regards to where do I need to be on Thursday, where do I need to be on Wednesday. Where do I, that means I need to. Have them in the heat treating oven by Monday, so I can you know spend some time doing. So I'm very, very. I have daily goals and and weekly goals, and then monthly and yearly. And what happens is, is once you meet those goals, you feel more confident in that you have control over what you're doing. And when you have more control over what you're doing, you feel more confident. And I, I, I'm a. I can't. If I didn't have an idea of what I was going to do, and it's to the point where I walk my dogs and I think about what I'm going to do every day. If I, if I just showed up and not knew what I was going to do, I would have a hard time not forging hammers or making something that I'm not really supposed to be doing. And I wouldn't be meeting my deadline. So I think that organization is way more critical than I realized when I was younger. I think one of the big issues I have with myself is I get down on myself for not meeting some of my goals. And then part of the reason is, you know, or one of the things I struggle with remembering is that I'm not a robot. You know, I don't have a consistent production output because sometimes things take longer than others and you can't get down on yourself because maybe you haven't, or at least for me personally, I I have a hard time not getting pissed off at myself and saying, look, you idiot, like get to it. Um, 
But, you know, we're not robots. But I do find, I have found that the most productive I've ever felt was when I was making, especially at the end of my workday, just making like a, a little list of things that need to get done the next day. So first thing I do when I walk in is I see that list and I know what I need to work on, what's coming up next. It's huge. And maybe I get them all and I feel awesome. Maybe I only get two or three of them, but I still feel great because I know that I've been done my best to get those things done. And then ending that day with those, you know, maybe I still got a couple things left on the list and I kind of just continue to add to that for the next day and so on and so forth. And I just, I just try, try not to get too down on myself for not meeting production goals because like I said, we're not robots. If you're giving yourself, some some days we're feeling awesome. Some days we're not. But if you're feeling, if you organize yourself and I'm not just saying down to the minute, but like perfect examples, there's so many things that you need to be organized about Heat treating is a perfect example. It takes a certain amount of time to heat treat. It takes a certain amount of time to temper. So you have to, in your mind, you don't start heat treating In the middle of the, you know, if you can't temper, you need that four hours at least. So you know that you can't, you know, or stabilizing wood is the same thing. You need to kind of um, prepare yourself in regards to how much time it's going to take. You don't go by that. But I will say that if you start to organize yourself more and give yourself, I'm not just saying, you know, flagellate yourself every time you make a mistake. But I mean, you will become more like, for example, this week, I made these goals in order so I wouldn't have to work all day Saturday, which is today. So I actually have just about an hour more worth of work. And then I'm going to spend the rest of uh, Saturday and Sunday with my family. And it becomes you be you're more clear minded. That's what mm. I think. I'm the, complete, I'm the complete opposite of Jeff. And I wish I was more like Jeff. Um, in many ways, uh, but particularly with scheduling, because um, like Mareko, I can beat myself up if I don't, if I give myself a list or a task of things to do in a day and I don't get them done, I can beat myself up. And then I can go easily into, you know, procrastination mode when I think, ah, oh, I'm never going to get it done. So, you know, or if it's not going to be perfect, why try? That's my, that's my biggest, biggest thing. So particularly knowing that we had twins on the way, um, I, I sort of changed the way that I do business. So I, I don't really do um, upfront custom orders now. I do maybe one a week. Um, so what I'm trying to do is build up a level of stock um, so I can work on them in my own time. I've got no sort of deadline to meet. I've got deadlines to meet because I need to put food on the table. I need, I need to get them done. But I don't have a, a sort of a customer deadline. So what I tend to do now is get stock done and put it up on the website for sale. And, and I mean, with regards to sort of scheduling and a tick list of things to do, I, I have a really simple sort of almost like a restaurant check-in system where I put, you know, checks up on the wall. Um, I've got a bunch of hooks and I put them up there so I can have a quick glance to see what I need to be done, what needs to be done. But I don't necessarily put a time scale on things, but I just know the order that I need to do things. So I've got, I've got that knife mm. to do next, then that knife, then that knife. So I can order things up. You know, I can order up equipment and whatever I may need, you know, bits and pieces for each knife to make sure it's there in time. Um, but I don't necessarily put time scales on things, which which I need to I need to be doing. But it's just it's, it's a very difficult circumstance for me at the moment. We're in a you know foreign country with twins. We don't have a family around us to help out. So it's, I'm literally taking the hours that I can in the workshop. But yeah, it's I wish I had more sort of. I, I I could stick to schedules better. I and I just can't unfortunately. So I think you just need to not beat yourself up about it and just do the best that you can. 
I also come from this. I, I was. I, we're going back to being a sculptor. When I was a sculptor, you know, people thought you're just like fooling around. You're smoking weed and fooling around your shop, and that wasn't the case either. So I had to really also prove to my family and my wife and everybody that I'm. You know, I take this very seriously. Yeah. And so when people come into my shop and we, or when I'm at, when I have business meetings or when my partner comes up, we're organized and effective. I'm also showing myself and other people around me that I'm not playing. Like this, I take this. This is there's no plan B. Like I can't. I'm not going back into a metal shop. Like there's no there's no there's just no way. Forty five. I'm going to go back into a metal shop. And I'm going to go back into the professional right angle grinder community. No, 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 no. It's either this or nothing. <laughs> this is it, man. This is it. There's no plan B. I got to make this work. I'm compelled. I have to make this work. And if I have to be more organized, that's what I'm going to do. Cool, cool. Another question from Nick Layton Knives. Um, I've heard you have to forge Damascus different from monosteel. Is that true? And if so, how are you supposed to forge it? Uh, all right. So uh, I say, especially if it's carbon steel, uh, high carbon steel, that uh, Damascus made from pretty standard 1080 or 10 series and 15 and 20 high carbon steels. Uh, I treat it like mono steel myself personally. Even when I do my mosaics, uh, you know, I baby it a little bit at the beginning to make sure those weld joints are nice and solid. But, you know, halfway through forging that thing, even a, uh, even a quarter way in, I'm smashing away on that like it's a, a one solid piece of steel and not uh, a bunch of little pieces welded back together because the system I use works, just works. And so you can treat it uh, like mono steel. I, when I was working with Neil Kamimura, uh, we did Mosaic Damascus and he he was skeptical as to how well it would stay together after you started forging on it and we were blasting on it and we did most of our forging by hand with cross peen and the hammer face just smashing away at the steel stuck together just fine but there are you know when it gets to mosaics it can be tricky but when it's uh like random damascus or twisted damascus uh, those the way that those D- Damascus patterns are constructed, it's a little more forgiving to really hard abuse and forging. So if if you're doing kind of standard uh, mosaics or sorry standard Damascus steel, high carbon steel, I'd say you're pretty safe to just treat it like mono steel um, because the forging range is the same as like a 1075, 1080, 1095. Um, which is pretty much the same as most other high carbon steels that you'd be forging knives out of, anyways. So, yeah. Now, I just, can I just that's, bring that's one th- one thing up? Is is when I before I was a knife. Oh, great! Bef- <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. It's what happens when um, when I f- was first forging. We were using mild steel, and you could forge it. Uh, you could forge it, but then when it starts to get uh, cold, you obviously it's not moving as much. So. Um, I saw I started seeing more knife makers when they're forging and they're doing more planishing hits while the steel is cold. When I was in a class with uh, Aaron Wilburn, Aaron Wilburn said the keys mm-hmm. to forging Damascus is get it hot, keep it hot, work it hot. And I think that a lot of it is the, the idea of like you just you you don't want to you don't want to be doing a lot of planishing when it's ice cold, right? No, definitely not. No, I I, I actually take especially when I'm doing the last final rounds of my forging. I, I do a few rounds of planishing um, at, you know, it's like it's it's below 1500 degrees, but I'm not hitting. I'm also not trying to move steel, really. Right. I'm I'm just straightening things out, right. helping to pop off some of that extra scale and just trying to clean it up and tidy things up a bit. Um, 
So I think that's also yeah. I mean, there's this even even for mono steel. There's an ideal forging range, and outside of that, whether it's too hot or too cold, you don't really want to be moving material um, unless it's like a, a light planishing blows, like you're talking about. I did forge a piece of scrap from Bob Rankin uh, Custom Knives, and it sure. moved so easy to the point. It was a small yeah. piece; it was only like a quarter. I was making a bottle opener, and it got to the point where after three or four heats, I forgot that it was Damascus. It moved super sure. fast. It was. It moved. It didn't. There was no delaminations. I made a very thin uh, scroll on the end, and no delaminations. And uh, if you were going to, I, I hate to. I'm going to pump him because he did a great job. Bob Rankin sells good Damascus. Like I was surprised at well, how easy it was to forge. And, and that speaks to his process. Right. Like he's obviously doing a good job where you can move it and you're not concerned about welds coming apart or anything. I didn't even that think it was Damascus. I, I forgot. I forgot. Right. that I thought it was mild steel for a while. Right. I wasn't thinking about it at all. Yeah. It's careless. All right, we are back for some more notes to a young knife maker, or not young knife maker, sorry, or to new makers as well. Uh, I realize that some people are just getting into this, and you know, some of them are later in life; they're not in their twenties or teens or anything. Anyhow, uh, this is where we kind of just discuss some of uh, some tips and tricks, or some key points and things to think about when you're getting into this craft. And uh, I'm gonna kick it off uh, with back health. Uh, this I, I've actually had my back go out uh, as a result of you know hours and hours of standing hunched over, grinding or forging or hand handstanding. And the thing is, your your back, especially when you're young, <laughs> like it, you're not gonna probably feel it so much. Uh, but once you start hitting your 30s and beyond, like I I feel it every day, and I think it's important uh, to start your day out as silly as it may sound, just doing some range of motion, uh, stretching, nothing too crazy, but just to get motion into your back and your, and your arms and your sh hips and sh shoulders, all that area, uh, all those different areas that you're going to be using because hu the human body is designed to move. And when you're knife making, unless you are forging and you're running back and forth, making Damascus and stuff like that, you're mostly standing at a grinder. I like, for me, between primary grinding, finish grinding, handle sculpting, that's like 75% of the job is standing in a static posture, hunched over at a grinder. And that is not what your body's designed for. So my tip for you guys is to, when you think of it, or even if you have to set a timer, try to stop periodically and just like stand up, twist side to side, do a couple arm circles and get back to it. You don't have to spend half an hour doing it, like two minutes. But that's going to help save your body and allow you to do this work longer and longer because there have been points where I'm really terrible about remembering to do this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day or even halfway through the day, I'm, I question whether or not I can keep doing this work for another five years because of how horrible my body feels. But then I remember I got to do, and I've talked to Jeff about this, and um, he offered some really good advice. I'm a, I'm a, I, am a, I am a chiropractor. You are, <laughs> you advised me doing yoga, uh, and I actually used to go to a chiropractor pretty regularly, 
um, which definitely helps. But uh, the, the biggest things that you can do for yourself are just the little things like stopping and stretching, um, you know, every even at least in every hour. And I'm, I'm not again, I'm, I'm saying just take a couple minutes um, just to get yourself out of that posture because it is hard on your body. Even though it doesn't seem like you're doing a lot, it's really detrimental to a body that's designed to move. That five pound lumper you're swinging ain't giving you any uh, any favors. And that's the thing, like <laughs> you got that five that pound hammer. If I was doing it day in and day out all day long, yeah, that'd be tearing me apart. But the thing is, I only do that for a couple hours every month, so it's a tiny percentage of everything I do. There, and most good. of everything I do is hunched over, either at a workbench or at a grinder. Good answer. And so, hmm. yeah, it's sensible sensible shoes you need miraculous oh sensible those goddamn shoes. Sh- those oh. lame <laughs> shoes the lamest shoes if, of all time i'll take a bad bag leather, over wearing those bullshit shoes <laughs> i didn't realize how posh you are jeff what i didn't realize how posh and style forward you were when you went into the shop to work um i mean, I mean you're wearing my gear i love some, it i'll take it some listen let's be honest here those are some bullshit shoes <laughs> i i don't say a lot about what people wear <laughs> Them's them some bullshit shoes. Them some bullshit shoes. Uh, they, they save my back. They're good for the back. Yeah. So my tip, my uh, note to a young knife maker this this week is: um, we're always being asked about you know the cost of things and things can be expensive. This is the cheapest thing you can have in your shop, and I use it every day. Window lean. Use it for everything. So uh, you know, window lean. It comes. You know, it's normally blue. It's a spray. Clean windows with it. It could be Mister. Oh. Whatever. Whatever brand. Is that like? Is that Windex? We, we call it Windex. 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 We call it Windex here. Windex. Window the same lean. stuff. Window the same lean. stuff. Um, it's a great neutralizer too. So when you're um, you're etching, um, spray it with Windex afterwards. It'll neutralize. Um, I, I use a lot of acetone in the shop for cleaning, uh, getting grease off, stuff, that kind of thing. And what I found that acetone, particularly with a carbon steel knife, can sometimes leave a stain. So, again, just a quick squirt with uh, Windex, and it's gone. Just a, just a quick squirt's all you need. Just a quick squirt. Hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey. I also, I also use it when hand sanding. That's the, uh, the liquid that I'll use. Um, I've tried in the past using you know WD forty or just soapy water or whatever, but uh, Windex seems to give me the best results because it keeps things nice and clean, so you can see your scratch marks. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. So just get yourself a couple of bottles, super cheap, and you know that with a bunch of paper towels. They're probably the cheapest things that you use in your shop, and you'll use far more of that than anything else. Those are some Love good it. tips. Well, I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper, and, and uh, from for for my little tippy poo, I thought maybe uh, Mareko would hop in on this. And I wanted to talk. We talked about it before. But I feel like um, a, the bedded tang concept is something that is critical to making integral knives. And and I'm not 100 percent sure. All right. So what a bedded tang is is if you have an integral knife, that means that you have an integral bolster, and you have a tang, which is a, basically a tenon coming off the bolster. You don't just drill a hole or carve a hole that makes it fit because you're going to have a lot of slop. So what you're doing is, and then this, I don't think that this is going to work very well if you're just making uh, hidden tang knives. And please, Mareko, hop in at any time. So you drill a hole in your to fit your to fit the tenon uh, of your your tang. And then what you're doing is you take a little bit of wax and you put wax. By the way, I got this completely from Nick Wheeler, and then and then that's 100. percent so you put a little wax on the on the tenon, 
and then you pour into the hole of the wood, you pour in your two-part epoxy, and then you squish in the tenon and let it, the, the tang, and then you clamp it down tight. You make sure that you have a nice fit and you clamp it down tight and let it cure. After it's cured, you take, you don't, you can, some people take a, a, a propane, um, like a plumber's thing, but you can use a heat gun too, and you apply some heat to the bolster. And what happens is, is the heat radiates through the, the tang and then it activates the wax and then it releases the knife um, from the, the, um, the epoxy. And then what you have is you have a perfect fit that you don't have to play with it. There's no slop. You don't have to put wedges in there. And what you're getting is, is you're getting a very, very perfect fit. It's custom to the tenon or the tang. And you can now, you can work with the wood and you're, you don't have to play with that fit anymore. Makes Sounds sense. Good. Makes that, sense to me. Was that an easy, I, go I, ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty straight. That's pretty much it. That makes sense to me. Um, I, I would say that if you're doing a mono steel knife, it might not be as necessary to do a bedded tang. Um, Why? But I, I, I'd say, well, because if it's Damascus or or a, a blade with a hormone, you want to dip it into acid. And so that's one of the biggest benefits of being able to take the handle off is being able to dip the blade in the acid with the handle off and then being able to put the handle back on and it keying perfectly back into place. If you're doing mono steel, you're not worried about that necessarily. Um and especially if it's an integral knife, uh, you know, you, you want the handle to fit together really nice uh, because you're for the sculpting of the bolster. Um, but I guess if it's a mono steel where you're doing, like I'm doing a Damascus knife right now, it's a Japanese style handle, the, the handle is going to actually be proud of the bolster. So I had to do two, I'm doing two handles essentially for the damn thing. But I guess I, I would say unless, realistically, unless you're doing Damascus, it's, it's, it's nice feature to have, but I don't think it's 100% necessary, um, for a mono. It's super not necessary. You can, you don't have to do it for sure, but I will say the times I have done it, it's made, it's taken a lot of the worry about whether or not, you know, when you do the final glue up, you don't have to like check and see if it's all at a square or something moved at all because you've already, you've already established that the fit is correct. Sure. So, I mean, my opinion yeah, is, is it's made it, for me, it is, yeah. betting the tang has made it, you know, you're killing the doubt on whether or not it's going to be, you know, after right. the final glue up, you have to fool around at all. Right. And I guess if you, if, depending on how you're trying to construct it and what you're doing with the blade, if you need to work with the handle off of the blade for any reason, it's definitely necessary because, like, say you're doing a part, you're fitting it up, and then you're going to take the handle off and do a bunch of carving work. You don't necessarily want to do that with the handle on the blade or if you want to do some sort of inlay or whatever you're doing um you want to likely work with the handle off of the blade because by that point the blade's probably close to being finished you don't want to mess it up right um but yeah yeah better tank it's a good move ah welcome to um what's your beef and and basically we started doing this by it's bitching and complaining. Basically, it's like whatever's on our minds, <laughs> whatever's gotten us, you know, irritated about something, and we're, you know, it's it's it's, it's all irritation shit. It's all like this is what's bugging me, or this or that, or the other thing, and we just, you know, you get to listen to what are we? You get to listen to us complain. Ah, oh, great! It's the great weekly radio. festivus. Great radio. Great radio. Yeah, <laughs> all complaints. Go ahead. 
I'll start off. Got? I'll start off. So it's one of two, and I can do one this week, one next week. So see the Brexit, which is going to happen. It's got to happen as a, as a beef or PayPal. But I'm going to go with PayPal this week, oh, simply dear. because they are the worst company to deal with in the world. In the world. So I'm giving an example. So. Two days before Christmas, I get an order come through on my website, and the customer paid via PayPal. Now, they have an option to pay with, you know, straight with credit card or pay with PayPal or pay with Apple Pay, whatever they want to pay with on the website. But they use PayPal, which is fine. Um, and it was, it was for two knives, and this was, I say, a couple of days before Christmas. So I'm like, oh, right, okay, something I, you know, in the new year I can, you know, I can take a look at and all that kind of thing because – any any knife that is bought from my website, it always says that you know there's going to be at least ten days shipping if it's if it's um, a knife in stock. These are knives in stock, so you know I, I had until the new year. So anyway, about I think it was probably about three in the morning on Boxing Day, literally the day after Christmas Day. Um, I got a, an email from PayPal saying that somebody's bought something from you and they haven't received it, um, and they've opened up a, a complaint case. So immediately what they do, they take the money back off you and they freeze it. And I'm like, geez, this is like two days ago. You know, this never would have got to the customer. It's, you know, shipping has, right. shipping has stopped. Um, so I, I email the customer and say, you know, is, is there a problem? Were you not aware they wouldn't get to you? You know, no response from the customer whatsoever. But they've, they've taken the money. So I, have, I haven't shipped the knives yet anyway. So I'm like, well, okay, it's no biggie. It's just, just a lost sale. You know, they were hoping to get it in time for Christmas. You know, they didn't realize that, you know, in two days it would be impossible. Um, so that happened. Um, and then the customer then went back to PayPal again and said, look, I still haven't received these. So PayPal took another amount out of my, out of my account. So now I'm not just, not just the amount that the customer originally took. I'm, I'm down twice as much. So I, I, exactly. So I email PayPal and I, I explain the situation. I said, well, you know, it couldn't be delivered for this reason. And, you know, I've, I've done the refund and all the rest of it. Um, and just nothing back from PayPal at all. Like for, for what was it, about two weeks now? And eventually I get one, an, e- an email from PayPal just yesterday saying, case is closed. It's all fine. Case is closed. I'm like, it's not closed. You've taken the money twice out of my account. And trying to right. get to speak to somebody at PayPal is just a complete and utter nightmare. Holy and smokes. every time you email, you get this canned response back, um, which just doesn't address the problem. So, yeah, I'm seriously considering not, not taking payment via PayPal on the, on the uh, account now, on the, on the website. Because it, this is something that's happened before as well. And it, I, I've had a few issues with PayPal in the past. And they're just there's just no customer service whatsoever. So, PayPal are my beef. I I always I always wish that PayPal would send me a nice Christmas basket because they take so much out of every paycheck. Every every they get such a percentage. They should be sending us such nice messages or a little fruit plate once in a while or something because <laughs> those motherfuckers step on everything, 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 everything. And it and it, it is hard to. We've tried to. Uh, Tony's tried to get people to not it's the convenience of using paypal but the yeah. problem is is they're like you know they take they take they take good beef. yeah yeah good beef. that was good Mareko, what you got oh boy uh so my beef this week is with some of the uh functions inside instagram for their stories uh instagram has this new feature which is absolutely awesome uh where you can it used to be that you could only take a 15 second clip, but now you can continuously record for, I don't even know how long, probably forever. 
Um, but you know, if you got maybe a minute or a couple minutes of stuff that you want to talk about, it just keeps recording and it automatically breaks it down to 15 second clips and then you can post those consecutively. All is great. But part of my issue is with some of the new formatting, they've put the save button right next to the X out button to back out of the camera function. And three times in a row, I was trying to post something and I was like, shit, I forgot to do this thing. And I went to go save it. And instead of hitting the save button, it X'd out because the buttons are literally two millimeters. There you go, Craig. Uh, I'm telling you right now. From each love, other. It. Right now. love it. Love it. Right now. <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. So five uh, uh, five sixty fourths. Shout out to shout out to Chris. Make everything workshop. Shout out to Chris. Five sixty four. Rolls off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue. Okay. Five sixty four. I can't wait Jesus to get one Christ. of those stickers. Yeah, Chris, uh, you gotta send. Yeah. Them. So it's it, it that happened to me three times in a row, and you know what was supposed to only take a couple minutes ended up being like half an hour of fuckery and i ended up not even being able to post the damn thing and being pissed off and just walking away from my phone it's so frustrating so i wish instagram would change their format a little bit so you don't or it so instead of automatically xing out say oh are you sure you want to do that and say having the option to say no that's not what i meant to hit uh instead of completely deleting uh, all the content automatically. Uh, those big so fingers. Those that, big fingers. Those too. pretty. Oh, I got big fat fingers too. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of my problem, and that's part of that's a big frustration for me this week. All right. Well, those are you know that's the thing. All right. So, well, for me, <clears throat> I, we got a nice message last week from um, a podcast that you know, Mareko, fans of the Forge. It's a it's a Forge and Fire. Uh, podcast shout out to you guys. They where they interview all these guys from Forge and Fire. That's very fan of the Forge. Very good. They wrote a nice message on what our, on our take on the Forge and Fire knife. So this week I was thanks to my buddy Mount Phillips uh, Metalworks. That's Chris Cash. He alerted me to the fact that Forge and Fire is now making frying pans. So oh, I, I, I thought um, <laughs> that's got to be a joke. So, no, it's from the same company that made the knives. They are making some bullshit frying pans. And last week, I decided that A&E is just business being business. But now, you're fucking making a mistake. This is so stupid. And I watched the video, and the video, he does these, these stupid, these, you know, I like a, like a nine-inch frying pan fits in, a four, in, in one of those little gas forges anyway. It was this bullshit oh little God. thing, and forged fire with the, with the five coats, and Chris was like, this has got to be a joke, and I'm like, I don't think it's a joke. And I watched the dumb video, and they're, they're melting aluminum pans in the, fr- oh, this is the only pan you'll ever need, $29.99. Guys, Whoever you are, it's enough already. If you want to sell something for $29, why don't you think about something? I, I, I don't even know what to say except for it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Now, I know that I think that uh, for insurance reasons, they got to be very careful what they sell. Like I remember when we were looking for insurance companies and we said that we made bushcraft knives when so insurance companies didn't want to take us because they didn't like it. So obviously they're trying to figure out a, whatever it is this company whole uh, you know this holding company they're making the using the Forge and Fire name, but you've got to I mean you've got to stop nobody wants it 
It's stupid and it's an it's super annoying. It's a super annoying thing that you're doing because there's no cooking on that goddamn show. There's no cooking on the show. It's a stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. It makes no sense. Uh, For $29, why don't you sell some more t-shirts? I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. But, you know, if you – look. And the pan thing anyway, I, the funny thing is, is I actually got, I got a message a few months ago. I had said that I, I down the line, I want to make frying pans. And it's true. I want to make old school French style, uh, crepe pans out of steel. They're thinner. They're just like well, crepe pans are thinner. It's got a, it's got a, a shallower, uh, side. And I've always wanted to make, and, and we ended up getting uh, a message from one of our listeners who who sent a sent a manifesto like the, they sent the Magna Carta to Fader Knives and Tony forwarded to me saying I think this is one of your listeners and it was like this very much along the lines of what do you you know and it was this long thing about pans and frying pans and and uh, he ended up saying something along the lines of I know you want to make frying pans well that's my turf. Like the Fonz, like this is Happy Days, and this is like the oh Fonz is telling me to the Fonz is telling me to back off the custom pan business. Well, <laughs> listen, my brother, trust me, you're okay. Don't worry. Uh, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna affect your your bottom line. Okay, and I appreciate what you said and blah blah blah. I I I, I, I don't know what else to say about the Forge and Fire thing, but it's like I mean, come, I mean, police, police. I want your take, Morocco. Come on, man. Craig, what are we going to do about this? They're, what they're is to sweat, say? Sweating the brand as much as they can there, aren't they? Like you said, they bought the license. They're just trying to sweat the life out of it now. Is this, is this the circling the drain moment? Is this the circling the drain moment? <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, your point last week is that the people that are buying these knives or these pans, they're not our customers. Um, right. Like, it, that's just there's nothing about no, no way around it i mean they just they're not the same people that are that care about our story our our hands doing the work on the tools whether they be knives or frying pans in the future for you jeff uh th- they're not the same people and so and the, the reality too back to mr uh frying pan that sent you an email it's the same issue with people uh in the knife world thinking that there's this misconception that there's only a, you know, maybe a thousand people who want to buy knives. Right. But there are literally millions of people. And is if this goofball thinks that he can make millions of frying pans no, he was, before he dies, he's out of his fucking mind. He thinks. I there's think he's plenty being, of opportunity. I think he was being playful. Yeah, but it was annoying. Well, it was him. it was annoying. No, no it's all right. <laughs> it, it was annoying, but it was fine. It, ultimately, I just said to him, "Like, just calm, calm down. Just pump your well, brakes." It, I, 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 but it's just a it's a flawed mindset. But I see true. knife makers do it. I see frying pan makers. I see woodworkers do it. And it's like people forget we're connected by to millions of people who want to buy this stuff. There's no concern of market like losing market share because you know you can only make so many knives a year. One thing I will say is back to the forge and fire thing. It is annoying considering the the how disrespect not disrespectful but like how little they do for the um the the contestants on the on the show it yeah. is like it context, is it's sure. a it's a triple squeeze you know and it's just like we got we got it you're going to make a night i got it but come on man 
frying pan? What are they going to do with it? What, how does that have any relationship to the show? It's just like, stop it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it does it. please, you know, give me a break. It's enough. You know, just wrap it up. Wrap but it up. You know what they should sell? You know what they should sell? everybody enough today. You know what they should do? You know what they should do? I mean, here's a new segment. You know what you should do? They should meet up with like a, a fish purveyor, a salmon purveyor, and then start selling the, the, the fucking <laughs> salmon steaks that they cut in half. That would make more sense. Forge and fire steak, uh, salmon steaks. We could, then they cut the fucking fish apart, or the or like a pig and when they cut a pig. on a plate. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That would with roasted vegetables. <laughs> that makes sense. They cut the fruit. They cut the fucking coconut. Nuts. They cut. They cut the the the, the pigs and the. They cut all the. Uh, they should be in the produce business. That's what they, they should, should do. They should do forge and fire brand salmon, salmon steaks. Oh my god! Right. I think we've depressed everybody enough now with our beefs and our rants. Yeah. Right. We're gonna try something now. We bitching and moaning. It is bitching and moaning. This isn't in the show notes. Thirty seconds each. Something that made you smile this week. Jeff, let's go straight to you. Uh, give me a second. Seconds. You got no, no, no. You got to get. You got to give me a second. You got to give me a second. Uh, I got to. I, I had. An, I had. I. I. I, I got to dig me something up. I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, my twin smiles this week, and that was enough to make everything good in the whole world. Hadn't slept for. It felt like days. They smiled, and the whole world was a better place. So that's my made me happy this week. Morocco, what's yours? That I gotta, I gotta be honest. That is probably one of the sweetest things, especially when the baby, for the first time, does smile in reaction to something that you've done. I think you're anthropomorphizing. I think you're anthropomorphizing. I think you're anthropomorphizing. I think it's like what I said last week. I think oh, it's like sure. it's gas. It totally is. The smile's it totally gas. Is. It, it, it's it's clearly it's not. They, they don't <laughs> like, care. It's too young to know. Oh, there's dad. Oh, they're like I got a fart. Uh, are you sucking that away the only joy I had this week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what made uh, you happy then? <laughs> okay. Mine this week. Jesus. <laughs> I, I got to say mine actually has to do with my son uh, as well. We uh, we did some baking this week. We baked cookies and we baked cupcakes. And it's just, it's a kick in the pants to watch him. Uh, doing these things and listening to him narrate the whole time. He does this thing where he narrates what he's doing because he does a lot of book reading. And so he's used to uh, stories and, and things being told to him from a, an outside perspective. So he narrates his interaction <laughs> in the world. And so he'll say stuff like, Victor's rolling out the door, Victor's cutting. And like he just narrates. Oh, that's himself. awesome. Auto narrates. It's hilarious. It cracks me up every time. That so, is awesome. That's what I got. That is Black awesome. Heart, what have you got? That is awesome. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know what? I got a nice message from the uh, the. Uh, I got a nice two messages. One from my hero Fred Christ. Um, when I post on Facebook about those knives I sent out, Fred Christ, who I'm, he's a he's a hero of mine. He did a great job. And then underneath that, the people who bought the twelve knives said, out of eighteen years of doing business with. Um, think with the other purveyors they've never had a more professional and excellent experience and then i was really happy for a few minutes and then i thought ah these guys are dealing with like mustard people you know they're buying mustard and shit <laughs> they're dealing with like they're, this guy doesn't deal what are you mustard dealing with yeah, yeah it's like mustard and salt and buying the you know salami yeah what that kind of experience so i was happy for a second because i thought ah, that's a nice thing to say and i'm like and then i started thinking about who are these guys dealing with these dealing with a bullshit guys hey look it doesn't count you did, and then I was miserable again. So you know, it was I was happy for a second, 
But then I was just like, yeah, you know, they buy you know I, socks and sh- they buy like napkins and mustard. <laughs> I do have one last piece of news. Uh, this th- coming up on Super Bowl Sunday actually is coming up, I believe, next weekend. Um, am I fucking that up? No, yeah, it's next weekend. That day, so there's this YouTube channel, Craig. Going back to YouTube, there's this uh, called First We Feast. They have a show on there called Hot Ones, and essentially yeah. it's an interview show oh. where they go through eating all these hot wings. And the 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 host is asking questions of the guests, and the guest is trying to answer all at the same time. It's it's hilarious. Some people really do a great job. Some people get their asses kicked by the hot wings. But this uh, coming Super Bowl Sunday, as a kind of a pregame situation uh, at Dragon's Breath Forge, we're going to be doing some live streaming where Jamie and I are doing a hot wing hammer off. So essentially, it's this it's the same thing, but we're we're eating hot wings in between each heat. So uh, Peter, our shopmate, has forged out a knife, and so Jamie and Mont. And my goal are to forge a knife that matches that knife exactly. But we have to buy heats by eating a hot wing. And so every time we're, we go to put the, our piece of metal back in the forge, we have to eat a hot wing again. And so they, and it's all of the hot sauces from the Hot Ones show. So they get progressively hotter and hotter until they feel like your face is going to fall off. That is awesome. That is, that is awesome. Basically. That is super awesome. We've been practicing We've oh, been eating a lot of hot sauce. You can't practice. A lot of hot sauce. You got to go in cold. Well, so we're we're not we're not eating the hot wings hot sauces. We have this stuff from a, a guy that came to the Hammer Inn. His name is Spicy Mike. Spicy Mike came to the Smithy. Spicy Mike. And I take it back. This sauce. is my favorite 30 seconds <laughs> in the week. Spicy oh. Mike came to the shop. <laughs> he brings this, he makes this hot sauce that is literally just, <laughs> Jeff, I think Jeff pissed his pants again. This is my favorite part of the whole week. Go ahead, Spicy Mike. <laughs> and, uh, he, he makes this hot sauce that is vinegar and Carolina Reapers. Jesus Christ. You good? Are you going to live? Oh, both of you guys are good. <laughs> Spicy Mike. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Deep breaths. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you crying, Jeff? Yes, I am. You sound like you're crying a little <sighs> bit. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy Mike is gonna love this this shout out. Oh my Spicy god, Mike. it's gonna be great. <laughs> Anyways, he makes a hot sauce that is all Carolina Reaper uh, with some vinegar, and it is fucking hot. It's insane. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that we've been eating to kind of get ready for this hot sauce challenge. But we are when it comes to the actual hot sauces for the challenge. We're going in cold because we haven't. We've kept them all sealed and nobody's opened them or tried any of them. Though it's been very tempting, especially since we've been watching all the episodes of Hot Ones to kind of psych ourselves up. Um, but yeah, that's that's just my little piece of uh, spicy Mike hot sauce. That's awesome. News coming up. Well, did you this, see that this coming Sunday? I gotta tell you, you gotta see the Gordon Ramsay episode. That one is the best one. I just oh. watched it. I saw I, that it's this very morning. Good. I tell you what, it's the funniest one. He is so funny. You, we we don't curse as much as he does. There's just no way. No. There's just no way. In oh, 20 minutes, he said the F word 
108 he, times I've heard somebody. He blew the doors off. He blew the doors off of the bad, the bad That's language. That's funny. But it was the best one. That was the best the best episode I've seen. That's pretty good. All right, it's going to be exciting. I'm definitely going to watch it. What Do you know what time it's going to be on uh, on YouTube? So uh, we're going to be doing it. I think it's going to be pregame. So I think we're doing it around 1. I think the foot, the, the Super Bowl starts at like 1 EST. Like one Eastern yes. Eastern Standard Time. East, Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. And where o'clock. are you going? Where can you find so, it? It's going to be actually we're going to be doing a face. I think we're doing a Facebook Live. Uh, that where that way it can live for a lot a bit longer than doing an Instagram Live. Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing over on Dragon's Breath Forge uh, in, uh, Facebook, and it should be pretty interesting because hot sauce and hammers and. Forging, I, you know, th- during the show they're just sitting. I don't know how safe it is necessarily to be eating <laughs> hellaciously hot hot sauces while forging. What is What's spicy Mike's rec- recommendation for the way you should store it? I love oh spice. yeah! Shout out to Spicy Mike. <laughs> we gotta Mike. have a Spicy Much Mike love, T-shirt. Man. Come on, come on! <laughs> we gotta make a Spicy Mike T-shirt. <laughs> We should, oh, we should okay. do a branded oh, Spicy, Spicy Mike, Mike can make the hot sauce and it'll be Knife Talk Hot Sauce. Oh, yeah, I love cool. the name Spicy Mike is the greatest weird name of all time. <laughs> I'm making a, I will make a Spicy Mike t-shirt. I will make that. <laughs> all right. That's a show. That's oh. a show. So talking of t-shirts, we've got a new t-shirt available at knifetalk.net, which Jeff has designed. It's a great t-shirt. So go and take a look. Um, and we shall speak to you next week. Shout out to Spicy Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.